I want to welcome I want to welcome you to the show. We have the one and only one of the best writers in this business. It goes by the name of Alan McElroy. Alan McElroy, how are you doing today, man? I'm uh, doing good. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. You're on your break. You're on your lunch break, actually. Lunch break from Star Trek. Just you know, you get a get a little time to eat, and that's about it. You're back in. <laughs> that's right. And speaking of Star Trek, you wanted to be an astronaut when you were younger. That was your dream. That was my dream when I was a kid. Um, I was watching like the, you know the Apollo launches and all that. And that's all I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be an astronaut, and so my whole life was like geared towards that. Except not paying attention to math class, which you know, didn't help. <laughs> but I would sit in class and I would write like stories about the adventures I would have as an astronaut. And, uh, and uh, I think that sort of started me on my road towards writing because I, would, I could just imagine the great, you know, the amazing things that I would do. And uh, I, if only I'd paid attention in calculus. <laughs> <laughs> well, now is the time to go to space because everyone and their mother is going for a plane ride. <laughs> I mean, exactly, you know. <laughs> Have to get. I have to, uh, you know, talk to William Shatner, see if he can kick me a few bucks to to take the Bezos ride. <laughs> you got that right. But your first novel you actually wrote in high school, the final track. This was something that you submitted to try to try to get published, and eventually, unfortunately, it got rejected. And this basically started your way into going to a convention in Cleveland to getting a screenplay of the thing. And you studied that screenplay, and this is how you became a professional writer because you followed that screenplay. That was the that was what happened. I I always thought I was going to write novels. You know, I loved it, and it's funny because in high school, uh, I, I did it for my senior project, and most of my other classmates were like, they're going to go spend you know six weeks at their father's law firm, or they're going to go work at an engineering company, and I'm like, I'm going to go home and write a novel. And my English teacher at the time thought he's going to go home for six weeks and watch television, and I came back that Thursday with my first three chapters written, and I think she must have hugged me for ten minutes. <laughs> because you can believe I did it. And that really started me writing because finishing that novel taught me that I could finish something, that I could actually complete a project. And once I did that, I thought, okay, this is, you know, let me try to get it published. But it took seven months for me to get my first rejection letter. I got, they asked to see the, the first chapters and then it was months before I, I, I got a response. And I thought, okay, I can't make a living like this. But my dream was write a novel, sell the movie rights, it gets turned into a movie. I thought, let's skip the middleman and try to teach myself how to write a screenplay. And it was Bill Lancaster's draft of the thing. I literally sat there and kind of deconstructed how he wrote scenes, how he created characters and just sort of taught myself how to write screenplays off of that. And wrote my first script, put it under my arm. I was just recently married. I was like been married five and a half months. My wife and I packed up our entire life into a Toyota Celica GT and drove cross country from Cleveland to Los Angeles. And that's how it started. You got your first developmental deal within two years while in LA. You got your agent within six months. You wanted to have the goal of having it done in two years, but six months. Yeah, I was uh, very fortunate. I mean, I uh, went out there and in the first, I gave myself two, I gave myself two years to get an agent. In that first six weeks, I got an agent, not a great agent, but I got an agent and that started the process. And then, um, uh, uh, my wife uh, actually had uh, met this actor, James McEachin, who people may know. He was in 2010. He did a lot of work. And he suggested that I enter this thing called the uh, uh, the Columbia Pictures Writers Program. And I was able to get in. And that got me a chance to go on the lot, meet exec meet this one executive who sort of taught me and, and mentored me on what goes on in, in terms of development and about, you know, sort of pitching ideas and things like that. 
And then um, I luckily I got a better agent uh, and um, met with this guy for Geffen Films. He was a creative executive at Geffen Films. And we went out to dinner and I pitched him like five ideas over dinner that none of them landed. And I was like, okay. And we were going out to our cars to like the parking lot. And as we were leaving, I just pitched him this one-liner idea that I'd had years ago when I was uh, working at a movie theater. And the idea was one man, it was just this one line. It was like one man chasing another man through a dying man's mind. Little did I know years later, the cell would get made. But that was the idea. He loved it, brought me in. I pitched it and they, they paid me to write like a, like a nine page treatment. Once I wrote that treatment, they paid me to write the script. And that, that was great and bad because what happens is when you do a development deal, then they own the project. So I realized once I wrote the script and, and gave it to them, they owned it and I could not get it back. So it was kind of sad to see this idea that I'd had for years kind of like, <laughs> I wrote it, I gave it to them and they never made it. And I'm like, oh, and then they own it. So I can't take it back. Oh. But, but it started my career and I never had to look back, which is great. Yes. And thank God. And one hell of a career that you've had, but just getting into it further, your love of horror began, I'd say Jaws, because you saw Jaws in the movie theaters, but some of your favorite influences besides Jaws, the bird, psycho, poltergeist, and the main one being Alien. Oh, yeah. Jaws, you saw this in the movie theaters and that's when the fear was just, it withdrew from you and you were ready to get on going. Yeah, before that, I had, you know, the idea of like horror movies, I, I guess my active imagination as the kid left me, you know, able to like really construct horror and kind of be terrified of things. I mean, I remember as a little kid watching H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. It was on at like one o'clock in the morning or something. And I was watching it in my sister's room where she had a, she had a TV in her room. I was watching it by myself because she was away at college, I think, at that time. And there's the scene in the in War of the Worlds, and, I'm, it, and it's this old movie that you look at and laugh now, but there's a shot where uh, Gene Barry and the woman in the movie, whose name I can't remember, sadly, they're, they're trapped in this like crushed house. And one of the meteors has crashed outside and they're just trapped in there. And then through a window, you see just like this little creature sort of go by like the window. When I saw that, turned off the TV, ran from that room, ran back to my bedroom, closed the door. I was like, done. Horror movies scared the heck out of me. I, I mean, the birds, I couldn't watch the birds because the scene when the guy's eyes got poked out. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, I'd have nightmares about that. I'd, I'd have nightmares. The guy was like, that dead guy's next to my bed. I would just be terrified. But then we uh, Jaws came out. Friend wanted to see it. And my sister uh, was dating a uh, future husband at that time. Took my friend and I with them to the movies. But the, but the theater was so packed that we couldn't sit together. So we all got separated. So I was by myself, sitting in the theater, watching Jaws. And what do you know? There's a scene in there when, like, I forget that. I think it's Ben. Ben Gardner. Ben Gardner, when his, eye, his eyes, and I was like, that just started put, that was like, okay, that started pushing me over the edge. And by the time we're like, you know, Robert Shaw's being, being bitten in half and all that, I was just like, it burned the fear out of me. From that point on, I could write anything. <laughs> <laughs> And speaking of Halloween, you saw the Halloweens in the movie theaters as well, especially the second one you remember the most because you saw this in college with a group of friends and this stuck with you and being able to write Halloween four in 11 days, which is insane because it's an amazing script and movie. But you, this was something that you held special to you because Halloween two was something that you really loved seeing in the theaters. Yeah, I mean, the original Halloween, I was at, uh, I was at Boston University and I was dating this girl and it had been out for a while. So we went to the theater to see Halloween finally. And we were actually like, I think we were the only two people in the theater and there might've been like one like strange guy in the back. And so 
that experience, just seeing Halloween alone in the theater was terrifying and fun, you know, there. And then when I was, when I, I went from, I went from BU and I went to Miami of Ohio and my, my roommate, a group of friends, we all like, you know, pre-gamed and went to see Halloween too. And just like, loved it. I just loved that movie so much. I actually had like, uh, little small posters and things. I had, there's like the scene of where, where Lori is in the corner in the hospital where she's got this gun and like, cause you know, where she was shot Michael from that corner. I had this little cutout from a, from an article that had her picture of that. Cause I just thought it was such a, a cool image. And uh, so then when I, you know, I got a chance to write Holland four, it was like a dream come true. I could just like, I don't know, it just took me back to all those fun experiences and the chance to bring the shape back and to be the person to do that. It was like, a true blessing. I loved it. Great. <laughs> you did. And in 11 days, it's insane. When I first heard that, I couldn't believe it. 11 days. You had to have the final draft, the concept developed in 11 days. Insane. Because to me, Halloween 4 was the last great sequel. And it's it's unfortunate that, because I think you, if you had to redo it over again, you would go on to write Halloween 5. Yeah, yeah. Dwight and I, you know, uh, which is so funny. That's a funny story because Dwight and I both, um, we met in Los Angeles. And, and discovered that we both were from Northeast Ohio, both from outside Cleveland, and both went to the same high school. It's like this tiny high school. He's older than I am, so I, we never met, but it was just funny that we'd meet out there. It's sort of destiny that we would work together on this. And what's funny about Halloween is that three people on, worked on Halloween, we all went to the same high school. Myself, Dwight, and the director of photography, uh, Peter Lyons Collister, we all went to this uh, high school Hawking in uh, in Gates Mills, Ohio, which is pretty fun. It's a small little private school. And what what drove us all to do horror movies? Who knows? But yeah, I had to write that script in eleven days because there was going to be a writers' guild strike, and you know it was like get it done or it wasn't going to happen. So uh, it just poured out of me. I mean, I was young then. I could I could write a script in four days back in the back in those days. So it was a uh, it was a labor of love to write that script. It was fantastic. And then I got to play a small role. I get stupidly i was i played this detective not detective sorry a, a deputy and i'm in front of the, the, the ambulance in this one sequence and they tell you once you pick a, mo a motion you have to repeat it because of continuity and i for whatever reason i ducked out of the shot instead of rising up into the shot <laughs> I, I was like investigating the front of the ambulance and as as loomis goes by i kind of like ducked down to, to check something on the ground and i'm like rookie mistake i could have stood up into the shot i could have kind of pivoted towards the camera but i never i i missed i missed my shot oh you enjoyed your time on set you had the opportunity to speak with donald pleasant you talked to him about all the stuff that you admired that he was in growing up and he was just a very nice guy on the set oh man donald pleasant was fantastic i mean and we talked because i grew up loving movies like of course you know uh you only live twice and uh fantastic voyage where he played dr michaels that was like fantastic voyage was very influential influential for me so to sit and, and get to talk about what a career he's had all the things that he's done and he was just so I don't know just very giving in terms of just like talking about his stories and experience and he was always he was incredibly complimentary about the script so I really you know that, that I really appreciated that it was I spent two weeks on set and I just got to hang out and uh, you know, watch it all happen which is great what was your reaction the first time that you saw it could either be Tom Morga or George P. Wilbur in the Michael Myers match? Because then it's like, now you're really a part of the shape because now you brought him back to life and you're seeing this for the first time in person. How was that? Ah, it was, I mean, it's amazing. Just the idea, like you're part of, suddenly to realize that, you know, I, I got a chance to be part of cinematic history and, and is, you know, bringing back 
Halloween in this way. And I, I even back then, I mean, I loved Halloween, but who knew that it would have such um, staying power, you know, that it's still part of the lexicon of cinema and they're still making movies of it, that this character that was created by John Carpenter, you know, in such a small way and shot in Pasadena, that this would have such, um, such longevity and, and have such a, a sort of wide ranging impact both in horror, but also in movies. I mean, for me, it's fascinating to see that the movie, when the first time I, I saw the movie, well, the first time I, you know, being on set was amazing, mm -hmm. but then to see how the movie, you know, just have transcended, that, to see it like playing on AMC. I mean, it's like an American movie classic. What, Halloween 4, what? You know, and, <laughs> and now it's a, it's a uh, attraction at um, Universal Studios Hollywood. I mean, it's, right. it's amazing for me. Did you, did you go to the maze in Hollywood Studios for I Halloween did. Horror Nights? The first year that they opened it, um, they had like a whole kind of opening ceremony with the red carpet and all that. And so it was great to go. Dwight and I went and, and some other you know members went to, got to go and we got a guided tour through it. And it was just amazing to see the, uh, you know, the gas station, they built it. And then you get to walk through the gas station and, and there's, you know, the actors playing Donald Pleasance in that, in that, you know, in that scene where he's facing off against Michael. And it's, it's just incredible to see it all come to life and, you know, in 3D, and then it's an amaze, and it's an attraction. It, it, I don't know. It, it really is. It really is a blessing. Unfortunately, because of the budget, there were so many shots that weren't able to be added in from your script. But you were you were proud of the script because it was just exactly how you wrote it. But for instance, you wanted the beginning to open with Donald Pleasance being flown out of the room from the fire in Halloween Two. That didn't get to happen. Then the the sheriff, which is Sheriff Meeker, his scene fighting Michael Myers in the basement, which would lead to a fire. And then you have <laughs> Jamie and Rachel yeah, going was... out onto the roof, and that didn't happen with the fire. Yeah, that was uh, you know that you know. Budget issues, uh, you know, I'll create limitations. But yeah, I really wanted that opening shot of that would tie it directly to Halloween too, which is like you're just looking down this this hospital hallway, and you're looking at this white wall in the distance, and it's very quiet. It seems very quiet, and then all of a sudden there'd just be this explosion, and the wall would break open, and you would see sort of this flaming Donald Pleasance coming backward right at the camera. I just thought that would be like a dynamic opening that ties it directly to that moment in Halloween too. Dwight was concerned. He didn't really want to have. He wanted Halloween Four to really be his film and not be tied to the past, so he didn't. He didn't want to do that, uh, which I, you know, I totally respect. But then the other, you know, budget constraints, like I wanted the whole gas station to blow up, like you know, you know, not just the gas pumps, but the whole station to go up. Yeah. And, and I think my action roots, you know, come out there. And then uh, in the house, yeah, I wanted this fight between Ben Meeker and the, and the shape in the basement. I just thought that would have been amazing, and it would knock over the water heater and that would start a fire and then the fire would be what drive would, would drive you know rachel would drive them up to the roof so that the house is burning around them they're forced onto the roof the shape is chasing them it's flames i mean i just thought it, that's that's dynamic cinema there but you know it, it still they wrote they they shot the script that i wrote and what's it was a, a great experience because that has not happened uh, until i got into television that hasn't happened since it, every time you write a script now it gets rewritten but that script really, you know, I can point to that proudly and say, yeah, those are the words that I, that I wrote. Yes. And it's an amazing film. During the script, did you ever think of keeping Michael Myers in the bandages for a longer period of time? Because I thought that was a very cool aesthetic, even though I did know that you wanted the William Shatner mask to return. Unfortunately, it didn't, because that's how you envisioned it. He was going to get the original mask and that didn't happen. But did you ever at one point in the script think of keeping the bandages on longer? Because I do like that aesthetic as well as some other fans. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it was very, it's very cool. Of course, you, what I, you know, what I wanted was that transition back to him becoming the shape that we all know. So that the moment, you know, that's sort of that iconic moment where he's putting on the mask and it, it actually works out in the film because he's putting on the mask, you know, as he's facing Jamie, who, you know, as in the film, you see that this transference of evil so that, you know, she's attracted to the, to the, to the, to the clowns, uh, clown costume. And then there she sees, you know, she sees Michael and you have the mirror. So it's like the mirror image. So there's a, you know, I'm trying to create a little bit of a uh, 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 sort of story, you know, continuity and verisimilitude between these characters. The amazing atmosphere that you build up in this film. I mean, even with the start, the opening credits, just the atmosphere that you set with that is amazing. It's unique from all the other films. To me, that's the best opening out of all the films in the franchise. And, and then you have him with his thumb, sticking his thumb through the ambulance guy to start out. You could feel that this is someone that's been, hasn't been on the big screen in what nine years now 10 yeah. years yeah. so you feel that aggressiveness and anger from him and he becomes more vicious exactly yeah I mean, with not a lot of blood which i do admire yeah i mean when you look back on the first film you look back at halloween and you realize that and i point i talk when i talk at conventions or i talk to people or groups of writers about um films and about horror specifically i point to halloween because john carpenter was brilliant if you look at it, there's very, there's no, I mean, it's, very, no. it's a pretty bloodless film. What he did so brilliantly is he has Dr. Loomis every seven minutes re reinforcing the danger of Michael Myers, how, you know, that he is evil. Yeah, all So that by the time you see him, he doesn't have to do anything. You're terrified because you, you keep hearing the legacy and the legacy and the legacy of what he is and what he can do so that anything he does, whatever, however small, it, it's amplified because of, of what you've heard. And, you know, we try to do the same thing in Halloween uh, 4. <laughs> in the ending, you set it right up there for Jamie to become the shape. And that's what, I believe that's what you were going to have carry over in the Halloween 5. And you left it up to the other writers to do that. And they just, they butchered it. It's just unbelievable. But <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah, that's, and it's funny because that's what I, I envision that this, there's been this transference that's been going on. And that, in fact, you know, that, uh, that, you know, Reverend Sayer in, in his own way has crossed paths with, his version of the shape. If I, I tell you, I, I brought this up multiple times and tried to get this going. That you do, a, you know, you do a sort of a prequel set in the fifties with you know Reverend Jackson P. Sayer, Dumont County. This young, you know, this young Reverend who, you know, comes upon comes across true evil for the first time in his life and was face to face with it. And and I thought what would be great is you start the movie with that, you know, with the Mr. Sandman song, mm -hmm. but it's playing in the time when it was written. So it's not like some kind of weird nostalgic oldies thing. It's like, it's in the moment. And, and you just meet this character. You, you follow his journey as he becomes, he's the Dr. Loomis of his time uh, facing the shape. Yeah, I think that would have been a great idea. And hopefully it pans out eventually because nowadays everyone everyone's making a horror movie to something. I'm, I'm curious, with seeing, I'm going to assume you've seen Halloween 3, of course. Did you ever think when watching that film, Halloween 3, of you coming up with an idea, if you got the opportunity to write a sequel to Halloween 3, did there any, anything ever cross your mind? Because this has grown a cult following over the years. Well, I mean, not a, not a direct sequel because um, something that, you know, I, I admire that what John Carpenter wanted to do was he wanted Halloween to become this anthology that every year there'd be a Halloween movie, a movie with, you know, sort of themed around Halloween or takes place at Halloween, but it's a different and unique story and that it would showcase new filmmakers, which I thought was a really, you know, would have been a great idea. Um, 
I talked to, it's funny, I did this movie Wrong Turn with this director, Mike Nelson, and we talked briefly about um, doing, would it be great to do a TV series or even a limited series, but a TV series just based on Haddonfield and just call it Haddonfield and have, you know, stories that are very similar to what, what they did in, in Season of the Witch, you know, something that's not, not shape specific, but says this town you know, is a magnet for maybe things that are just a bit unusual or there are stories going on. This was just about the Myers house. But what about the house, you know, three doors down? What about the house three blocks away? What are, what's the story, what, what are the dark and twisted stories that might be coming out of that neighborhood or out of that house or out of that family or whatever? And that Haddonfield could be sort of the landscape for telling those kind of stories. Yeah, I think, you know, that, that, I think that'd be a cool TV series. I'd watch that. Yeah, I definitely would. Besides, you've had your work with Halloween for, besides the Michael Myers franchise, is there another franchise that you would be honored to do if approached, whether it be a Friday 13th or a Nightmare on Elm Street? Which one would you love to just take on and put your own spin on it? Wow, in terms of the horror franchise, what I want to do. Um, that's, that's tough because I, I, you know, I'm, I very much love to do original things. So I'm always yeah. trying to come up with something new. Um, like Friday the 13th, I... I I don't think I would want to do that. Uh, it's funny, Mike Nelson really wants to do Pumpkinhead. I know he's like a maniac for doing Pumpkinhead. Uh, but, you know, although it's horror and science fiction, I still, I love Alien. I love Alien. Oh, here, and this is another, it's also science fiction, not horror, but I would love a chance to do a, my version of like Predator. I would love to do that. And I, because the end of Predator 2, not a great movie, but at the end, it's so teed up this idea that Predators have been coming to Earth through history. And I would love to go back and tell stories that are historic, where the Predator came up against, like, for instance, there's the, um, what is it? The story of the Ninth Legion. I think the Ninth Roman Legion, which disappeared. What if the Ninth Legion came up against the Predator? And you tell that story. You know, it's like, it was all about the Predators fighting the greatest you know warriors of, of that it would come across well let's tell what about telling those stories down through history fighting gunfighters fighting romans fighting vikings i mean anywhere you want to you know like look to history and find someone or a great moment that has a little bit of mystery to it and then insert the predator into that story i would love to do that and I think you would put a great spin on that. Is the first one it, to me is the only great film out of the whole franchise. You can't <laughs> can't go wrong love, with that one. I love Predator. I think it's good. I think it's great. Classic. <laughs> now we shift in the wrong term. Two thousand three. You actually wanted to make this a film without no sound. It was going to involve a robber who runs into three mountain men, but yeah. eventually that there was someone that actually pitched you the idea and the title, but he had no involvement in it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was, uh, that's an executive, his name is Brad Luff. And uh, I had, yeah, because I had originally uh, conceived a wrong turn as something I was going to just shoot in Cleveland. I was going to do it like with no sound because I, was, I didn't want to, you know, pay for sound and all that. I just wanted to direct it myself. It was going to just follow this one guy and I was going to do it with like, just, you know, you know, ADR and, you know, background sound effects and things about him. Just like, he's a robber, he's escaping town, car breaks down, he has to walk through the woods, comes upon this cabin and you know stuff happens and uh, then I, you know i sort of pitched it as a, as a movie to this to brad luff and he was like well you know you should add like five other characters and you know so you have more people to kill and you should call it something simple like wrong turn he said write that in a month and it'll, you know and i'll i'll sell it and i wrote it turned it gave it to him he turned around and gave it to his boss um head of uh, original films who's uh, neil neil moritz neil moritz uh didn't didn't bite 
took my script and uh, and uh, luckily Constantine and uh, the guys there they they took it on and made the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's become a, a classic at that. Many horror fans love this film. And it, just your favorite scenes. I know your favorite scene is the cabin with the spring and then the, the officer getting shot in the eye with the arrow. But the tree scene, that's insane when they're going through the trees and yeah, facing off at the mountain men. Well, it's funny. It's that you know, what I love to do when I'm writing is I love to write myself into a corner and then try and figure out how to get out. Because if I can't figure it out or if I've like, you know, sort of trapped my characters in a way and ha- they have to think, how am I going to get out of this? I know the audience will feel the same way. It won't feel contrived. It won't feel like, oh, I planned it. And, you know, audiences are very savvy. They pick up on all these things and they know that, you know, the, these, these, they can almost see it before you see it. And I don't want that to happen. I want the audience to be like, I'm trapped. I don't know how they're going to get out of this. And the only way out is to jump into these trees. You know, oh my gosh. So that's, that's the way I write. And I, I love to, uh, I love to surprise myself and make the, put the characters in situations that are, impossible to get out of and then have to figure out how would you survive it and that was one of the moments that I I loved oh and what was great about it is they shot it in Toronto and that sequence in the trees they shot on a soundstage and that really felt like real like old old Hollywood movie making because you walk into the soundstage and inside are is a they built a forest and you know the watchtower and I was there the day they were having like doing using stunt people to drop them down through the trees. So they're on all these cable, cable harnesses, but they're being like physically dropped down through the, through the branches and the trees. And it was just really cool to see it happen. That's no CGI. It was like, you know, the real deal. That was, yeah. that was very cool. <laughs> no CGI, the good old days when it was straight yeah. makeup and real effects and yeah. wish we could get back to those times. But I want to congratulate you on bringing back Wrong Turn and putting your own new spin on this because it's so rare to see the originator say, I'm going to take my classic work and I'm going to put my own spin on it. Because I would respect that if more writers and originators would do that instead of someone just taking it and trying to profit it off of some kind of just money fund here to keep it going, which you saw with the other sequels in Wrong Turn. But this was interesting because you came up with the idea of the foundation yeah. and you were having the conversations of going back and forth, back and forth of who the monsters really were. And that's what the script and movie is. That, that's true. I mean, myself and uh, uh, Robert Coles are the producer. We just sat down and said, you know, what do we, what, what, you know, what would wrong turn be today? And we really got into a couple of very sort of uh, detailed discussions about society and about, um, you know, old America versus new America. And, you know, who are the, who are the real monsters? And I really wanted to play with that idea of, you know, we expect that the monsters are in the woods, but really are, are we the monsters? And I wanted to really, you know, sort of press that idea because as you watch the movie, you realize these characters are making assumptions about each other and about what they're facing and which society is, 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 is better, which society is, is considered barbaric and, and savage. Is it the one that, that's up there living clean and eating organic and they have laws that are very strict, but it means that everyone lives in peace? Or is it us, you know, who are fighting amongst ourselves and killing ourselves with cell phones and eating processed food and our bodies have become weak because we are sedentary and their bodies are strong because they are working. And, I mean, just playing with the dynamic of, you know, who they're at the end of the, at the, end of the day is the bad guy. The scene when, when, the, when Venable talks about, you know, you know, did we do anything to you? And the characters have to kind of go, wait, you know, wait, you know what did we do? What did we assume? I, those are the kind of things I love playing with in the story. That that got me excited to write it. It, it 
was an amazing spin on it. And it's so rare to see that. That's why I wanted to congratulate you on that. And it just relates to society nowadays because you see the tension that people are going through in society over a vaccine. Yeah. (laughs) Over a COVID-19 vaccine. You see that so you can relate to that. And and you see it much through the story here that you put on it. Yeah. I mean, America right now is so, I don't, I mean, it's so polarized. Mm -hmm. I don't don't know. I don't think, I'm not sure when in history it's been this bad where you really feel the divide and you really feel that people are just on edge. You know, I'm sure the pandemic has put everybody's nerves on edge. You know, everyone is short tempered. You're seeing all this violence on airliners. Yeah. You know, I, the, you know, the political landscape is completely, you know, sort of there's, there's warfare, it seems like, that's yeah. ready to break out at any moment on, you know, on the political stage. So, yeah, you know, maybe it's better to be up on the mountain with the foundation. It <laughs> <laughs> it's better to be part of the foundation. At least you, there's no politics here. Right. <laughs> Everything exactly. has to do with politics. It's, it's unbelievable. But I, I was reading recently that you have an upcoming thriller, Help with Tyler Perry and Jason Blum. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah, they, uh, it's so funny. I mean, it's like, uh, I'll tell you, most people, you know, will deride Facebook and, you know, who, who doesn't deride Facebook? <laughs> but <laughs> but the, this producer at Blumhouse reached out to me through Facebook and said, wow. would I be interested in, in talking about a project? I mean, when does that ever happen? That didn't come through my agent, didn't come through my manager, Facebook messenger. <laughs> so. <laughs> We talked about it and they sent me uh, like a one-liner on this one, on this thriller idea. And I, I thought, yeah, I can make this happen. And, and uh, wrote a script. They seemed very happy with it. So we are literally in process of talking budget and, and, uh, and hopefully moving uh, toward production. That'll be great. And I'll be looking forward to that. And can you give us a quick synopsis on what this story may be about, if you can? Yeah, without giving too much uh, yeah. away. It is uh a little bit about uh i'm not sure if i should because i know i think in the in the release they didn't say they said they kept the plot of reps i'm not sure what i should say uh um let's just say it, i'll just put it like this in the most general sense it is a thriller in the vein of thrillers from the 90s you know things like fatal attraction and hand the rocks and cradle you know it's like it, it sort of takes us back to that kind of kind of film but with a now with more of a modern twist more of a of a kubrickian eye towards that kind of storytelling, not so much, uh, not maybe as salacious as those old films were, but with something like just a little more of a, of a modern edge. That's what I'm going to be going for. We'll be looking forward to that. And I know that you were stoked to become part of Star Trek, Vampire Diaries. That's another accomplishment. Yeah, I, Vampire Diaries was, was, well, that was, you know, I, I've wanted to create a TV series for years. I love writing movies, but I'm also, I also wanted to create a TV series. And I realized I've sold pilots several times, but each time people would say, well, if it goes forward, we'll have to put you with a, with a showrunner because you don't have TV experience. And I realized I needed that TV experience. So I went on to Vampire Diaries and I have to thank my youngest daughter, Mackenzie, because she's the one who would, you know, before any of this happened, she'd say, oh, dad, you got to watch. Can, can we watch a scene together? I want to show you the scene from Vampire Diaries. I want to show you this one episode. And I, and I would watch it with her. And it's funny because when I when I did my interview for Vampire Diaries, I mentioned, you know, my daughter and I would watch these episodes together. And I, and I definitely, and then they told me later, they, they said, hearing that is what really, why they hired me because that I, that I watched the show with my daughter. So I have <laughs> I've heard a thing. <laughs> you got that right. And that's another major achievement down on your career. Alan, is there anything else that you want to mention that you have coming up here? Any other work that you're having the process here and anything? 
Well, I mean, I've got a, uh, I'm, I'm writing a pilot. Uh, again, I want to create a TV series. So I'm working on a pilot. Uh, I won't say exactly what it is, but it's, it's based on an old Robert Silverberg uh, uh, novel. And because I grew up reading so much science fiction as a kid, and it's a novel that I always loved uh, as a kid. And, and uh, I love time travel. So anybody who knows Robert Silverberg and knows time travel will probably figure out uh, what that is. So I'm hoping, you know, hoping and hoping and praying that that, that, that gets to go forward. Because um, I'd be really excited to create a TV series and, and, and put my own spin on things. <laughs> and that's always good. I know with the sequels nowadays, but will you be making a, a sequel to the newest Wrong Turn? I don't know, but I want to hear from you if you think it's best. I hope so. I hope so. I've, I've, I've heard nothing. It's up to, you know, up to the people uh, uh, in the in who sit sit on high who who hold the purse strings, but I would be very up to uh, to doing it. I, I already have an idea how to how to sort of make it a trilogy that ties everything together. I think that that would be kind of cool. Wow, we'll be looking forward to that. Alan McElroy, I want to thank you for coming on the show here today. The students enjoyed it. The listeners really enjoyed it because you offer so much so much insight on your work, and you are one of the greatest writers in this industry. And and congratulations on all your achievements and accolades. And we'd love to have you back once you released some new material. I would be happy to come back. I mean, you know, anything I can do to help or influence or, you know, I, you know, I want to help the next generation of writers get the opportunity that I've had because I've had a very blessed life and I would love to see others, uh, uh, you know, because the word is the word you got to get forward. And uh, storytelling is what carries us into the next generation. So let's do that together. Yes. Thank you for all your contributions to horror. Enjoy your October and Halloween and, I don't know if you celebrate Halloween too, too much, but <laughs> too much, probably <laughs> probably too much. Yeah. It, it, you, that's rare because I've been noticing Halloween's not as celebrated as it once was. I'm noticing that around my neighborhood well, and everything. Not as much, but you know, you got to get it where you can. Yes. <laughs> All right, Alan, I want you to enjoy the rest of your day here. Take care. Stay safe. I look forward to speaking with you again. Too. Stay safe. Thank you. Stay, stay safe. Thank much. you. Right. Yes. Bye. <laughs>